Hello and welcome to episode 27 of For The Record. The 27 Club. Oh, scary. Uh, my name is Sean Tierney. Thank you, Millen, for joining us. With me, as always, my co-host, Mr. Zach Buggy. How are you, sir? I'm not too bad, man. I was wondering, though, I was like... Because a couple of weeks ago, you know, it was episode 25. Mm. And I was saying, oh, not old enough, too old for Leonardo DiCaprio now. <laughs> yeah. And all I could think then was 27. I was like, why... What, what's the joke about 27? And then you were like, 27 Club. Um, yeah, it's, it's not as fun. It's not It's not as much a joke, more of like a grim reality of rock music or something. It's just like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, who's your favourite member of the 27 Club? That, that's probably the most horrible music question I've ever oh. been asked. Up there with uh, who's your favourite nationalist black metal artist? <laughs> Yeah, I, I've been listening to a lot of kind of serial killer podcasts this week, so maybe that's why I'm in a kind of more morbid mood. Have you been watching that Jeffrey Dahmer Netflix show or something? No, no, I've um, I will though, because apparently it's very good. So I'll give it a go. Um, yeah, yeah, I've been I haven't seen it either. I, I I'm a bit like, yeah, I, I I was saying it at work to guys the other day. You know, do I I feel like there's been a shit ton of like retellings of the Jeffrey Dahmer story. And I know Evan Peters is a good actor and all that, but yeah. can't help but think, do we really need another one? And I, I must admit, I, I did kind of go, hmm, when I saw it was created by Ryan Murphy, and I know that name because that's the dude who created fucking American Horror Story, which usually you, would, you wouldn't, that's... Mm, sometimes you wonder if that's the type of person who should be telling a very impartial story about a real life serial killer who existed, you know, but yeah, I mean, but, yeah, yeah, someone who's been sensationalizing murder and evil yeah. for like his whole career. And then you're dealing yeah. with, yeah, and yeah that's be, a funny yeah. one. Well, yeah, but that, uh, I haven't I, seen I, it, so I don't know. I gave up. I, American Horror Story was good for like two or three seasons. And then it, I felt like I was watching True Blood, oh, you know. Man. It got watching so bad. Yeah, it just became cringy. As soon as Jessica Lang left and they got Lady Gaga in from, I think it was season five, or, yeah. I just gave up on it. And now it's like got more seasons than fucking like most shows I've ever watched. So get away from me with it. Yeah, just come on. It actually, it's a kind of a nice uh, link to our episode last week. The artist who fell off the most. <laughs> yeah. Sure American yeah. Horror Story is one of those, I think. Um, yeah, but no, it's uh, actually, speaking of that episode, we've gotten some... Nice feedback, a good few plays on that as well. So thanks a million to everyone who listened. I, I hope you all enjoyed it because as depressed as I was at the end of it, I actually really enjoyed <laughs> doing the episode. Yeah, I felt like I said on the, during the episode that I had expelled some demons that 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 I had a lot of emotions I'd been building up and harboring for years about a lot of those artists that I just needed to get out there into the open because I can still listen to what I like by them. Mm. But and funnily enough, um, like this pat earlier this year I went to Slam Dunk for my first time and I had a really really fun experience. So I said I'm go I'll go back next year because it's it's really close to where I live in London and it's always got a big lineup and the ticket isn't that expensive. And as a, as a man in his thirties now, it's nice to go to a day festival on a Saturday and be able to just come home and go and like, you know, I'm so fucking dowdy now. It's ridiculous. But, uh, I, so they've announced the first batch of like bands and, 
I saw the Enter Shikari's there, the Offspring, the Academy is reunion show. So there's enough there to draw me down there. But I literally saw in the second lineup announcement the other day, fucking Trophy Eyes got announced. <laughs> and I probably will like go there drunk as fuck. And like what I saw at the drive-in at Riot Fest, it will be a combination of standing there with my arms crossed totally disinterested and disgusted and then crying and spazzing the fuck out like two songs crazy one song annoyed two songs crazy two songs get a bag of chips come back (laughs) yeah it's going to be the most bipolar experience watching a band ever between the whole shit new shit i mean it sounds like a kind of a fun time though you know like a kind of the mental gymnastics you have to go to to actually enjoy it yeah I mean, I'll never forget when I was at at the drive-in and, you know, it, it. I've never in my life watched an artist who some of their material made me go so fucking like, off my head. Mm. And then the other the half of the re- other half of the set was the most boring, disinteresting shit ever. But that's it. That's what happens when you put Relationship and Command and Interalia back to back in your set. I was so furious when I saw at the drive-in. I saw them at Mad Cool in 2018, but I was so annoyed about how shit the Interalia stuff was that I just like, I can't even enjoy the relationship with Command stuff. I was just livid. I was there like a pure fucking dickhead for the whole gig. I was like, no, this isn't good. I don't like it. Yeah, that was me. Oh, uh, no. Completely I'd ruined my experience. Off. Yeah, I couldn't do that. I couldn't let Interalia tarnish my one time to hear songs off relationship with command you know yeah well you're obviously a nicer person than I am <laughs> I'm just a much bigger dickhead than you um, you know what we'll probably speaking of relationship command and interalia and at the drive-in falling off hmm. the Max Volta haven't fallen off and we'll probably talk about their album maybe next episode I think that sounds like a great plan okay. I'm, I'm very very on board at that um yeah, that's a very interesting album to discuss, as is today's record, I feel, at least. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of the records we've covered so far, this might be the biggest release that we've done. I I, I, I was thinking this is probably the biggest release uh, after, or up there with Wet Leg because of how huge it's yes, become. Yes, yeah, that's, and, that is fair, actually, yeah. In terms of this year, anyway, definitely. Nice. Yeah, and yeah. the new Kendrick album. Oh, fuck it, yeah, sorry. Yeah, how could I forget our 17-hour epic dive yeah. into Kendrick, yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms, of, in terms of metal, this is going to be the biggest record of the year. Like, it's the biggest release of the year um, because it's Slipknot, and Slipknot are the biggest modern metal band, so... Yeah, we're going to talk about Slipknot. Um, Look, most of you people listening will know who Slipknot are. They're a nine-piece metal band from Des Moines, Iowa. This is their seventh studio album. Um, After a relatively short gap between this and 2019's We Are Not Your Kind, um, I think I'm going to say right up front that I am an unashamed, lifelong Slipknot fan. There's something about their sound when they get it right that it just... It just it just hits that button for me. It scratches that itch that I'm just like, yes, I'm home. I'm safe. This is Slipknot. I fucking love you. Do you know? I, and it's because they're such a formative band for me. I mean, the first three Slipknot albums are it, just all-time classics. Um, I 
think that All Hope Has Gone has some really, really high points in terms of psychosocial will forever be in their set. Whatever you feel about that song in itself, it is a monstrous tune. So, you know, fair play, it's in there. The Grey Chapter, point five, The Grey Chapter, whatever, is my least favourite Slipknot album. Um, I think it's lacking a little bit, but again, it's got some high points. It's got The Negative One, The Devil and I, Custer is a banger, amazing live. And then 2019, I was amazed with We Are Not Your Kind, in that it is now my fourth favourite Slipknot album. It's slotted in just under the, the top three. But, I mean, Slipknot have been going... Their first release, we'll say, their first proper release, Jesus, so many addendums, is 1999. They've been going for such a long time. Are we ever going to get a record better than Volume 3, Iowa, Slipknot from them? No, we're not. It's 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 not going to happen. So I don't have that expectation when I press play on a new Slipknot album. What I do have an expectation of is I'm going to get a couple of big fucking bangers. I'm going to get some cool sound, some good weighty production. And We Are Not Your Kind delivered that in spades. It's a fucking great addition to their to their catalogue. And that's kind of a little short potted history on on my relationship with Slipknot. Um, I think that there's no point getting too much into it because it, they're definitely a band we could cover on our Essentials branch because of their essential material. But just quickly, what's your kind of, your quick history with the with the lads, with the boys? I, I'd have a very similar kind of history, I think, to most people growing up listening to metal where I was into Metallica and Megadeth and shit like that. And a buddy of mine who was older had the first two Slipknot CDs and didn't like them. And was and he was kind of at an age where he kind of knew what he was into and what he wasn't and just flat out told me, oh, I don't like those masked guys. You can have these. And I took Iowa and the self-titled home. And the self-titled... <laughs> That's a good day. <laughs> yeah. For like a nine-year-old. And, uh, and like the heaviest thing I'd listened to at that point was Korn, self-titled. And, Which uh, is, is pretty fucking heavy, to be fair. Yeah. But when there was something about... Uh, and like you said, to this day, you know, Sipnot are never going to release anything that's as potent or as unhinged as those first few albums because they were young men in that headspace. And... And yeah. just just to interject very briefly, I mean, the reality of the situation is, and we can we can look at these nine kind of caricatures of humans almost at this stage. These nine legendary figures. Well, you know, not anymore given the six characters no. and six kind of legendary figures or whatever. But the thing is, these men are millionaires. Yeah, you know, they're they're rich, well off rock star people they're never going to have that hunger that fire in the belly of the early days even as big as they got on the first album i mean the viciousness of iowa was just so potent that they're never going to recapture that which i think no. is definitely worth saying but sorry i interrupted <laughs> it's funny you say that because while listening to the new album we're going to discuss today there was one point where i literally said to myself these most of these guys when they started on their first album were a bunch of broke, drug-addled, anarchist young men writing, just lashing out. Um, the success they garnered through their chaos and debauchery has now led to them on their seventh album being one of the biggest metal fans on the fucking planet. It's just nuts. Yeah. But yeah, so I basically just full-on fell in love with the self-titled Iowa, got really hung, psyched for volume three. And like yourself... Those first three albums, 
I still adore them to this day. All Hope is Gone, very, very, very mixed bag for me. Uh, it has some of my least favorite Slipknot material and some of my favorite. Cool. I really find like Dead Memories and Butcher's Hook and Sulphur to be quite duds. But then... You don't, you don't fuck with Dead Memories? Nah, it's really? a bit too... It sounds like a rejected Snow and Sour song to me. So I, I just felt like it didn't belong there. But then on the other hand, you have like Psychosocial is a classic staple of their set. 100%. And, and that fucking breakdown that's not in the single version for some reason. The limits is a, are there. It's fucking the, mega. Yeah, yeah. Savage. And Gamatria, the killing name. I love that track. Yeah, and when I remember when I first listened to it and heard all I'd heard was Psychosocial and the title track All Hope Is Gone and I threw the album on and heard Gamatria The Killing Name and I thought this was going to be such an amazing album and it's not. It's a bumpy ride. And then Five, The Great Chapter, again, an even more bumpy ride. And I like the singles. I agree with everything you said, the negative one, The Devil and I, Custer. But for the most part, it underwhelmed me. And then we are not your kind. I'll admit, I, I I agree. We are not your kind is the best album since volume three, the subliminal verses, mm-hmm. but it also, it left me kind of cold in the okay. sense that I, and, and I think it's, I, I'm really glad you said what you said earlier when you said they'll never make an album like the first three again, because I think I've been a very slow learner about with regards to Slipknot about that, that I, it took, I had to go through All Hope Is Gone and Five The Grey Chapter to only finally accept by the time We Are Not Your Kind came out that I was never going to feel the same way about a Slipknot album that I felt about those first three. Mm. So I kind of had, I came to that realization as We Are Not Your Kind came out. So it's not like it wasn't that I didn't care, but it was more like the magic was a little bit gone. And because they'd had the lineup shifts and Jay Weinberg was there instead of Joy Jordison and Paul Gray was long gone by now. And so it just it seemed a little like my stock or my investment, my interest in Slipknot had waned. And I wasn't so I didn't I didn't kind of throw myself into We Are Not Your Kind as much as I should have, I think. I and understand, I th- yeah. That that makes a lot of sense though. I think that's just kind of it's part of the natural life cycle of you know, the music fan a little bit, isn't it? You know, I mean we still hold on with you know, we grasp with every fibre of our being onto the albums that, you know, that made us who we are in terms of our music listening. But we're always looking for new things as well and sometimes you're looking over here and you're looking at shiny new album. Oh my God, this is so exciting. And then you're like, oh, it's Slipknot, they're millionaires. It's hard to... Yeah, and this you know, isn't going to be as good as self-titled or iOS. So exactly, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I go in with all that that all that all shit already floating in my There's head. There's a lot of baggage or something yeah. that comes with listening to a new Slipknot album. Um, with that said, I could tell that We Are Not Your Kind was a total step into the right direction and it had... It showed to me signs of a re of a revitality that I hadn't heard since Volume Three. So, as much as I kind of I I I understood, it wasn't like I was at odds with the reverie people were were praising. Uh, we are not your kind with. I completely got that people were seeing this as a return to form, and I recognized the 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 improvement. But I just I kind of didn't click with it. 
so I haven't That's fair. been that hype about the end so far. And like you said at the beginning of this podcast, I'm very surprised with the quick turnaround of yeah. the end so far. This is very unslipknot. Very unslipknot. Do you know what's another point I think is worth making? And then I'm, I'm going to dive into the album. But I remember talking to someone and they were like, they were much younger than me, but they're a metal fan. Um, and it was actually <laughs> someone someone I know is like nephew. And he was like, oh my God, you you like heavy metal, do you? And I was like, yeah, I love it. You know, I'm talking to him as a 30-year-old man. And he's like, I just heard this band Slipknot. And I was like, oh my God, no way. Slipknot are like literally one of my favorite bands. And he goes, yeah, this 0.5 is the best thing I've ever heard. Because, right, that's... <laughs> That's his first exposure to Slipknot. So you oh, do you know what I mean? Wow. Like he doesn't he doesn't oh, have wow. you know he doesn't have the context. But like, can you imagine hearing something like Coster and not knowing what came before? You'd be like, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. You see, because our prior knowledge, like we were there, man. Exactly, you know? And it's that weird thing of we're never going to appreciate something no matter how good it is because of what we know. But this yeah. young kid who was just like, oh, music is the fucking best thing in the whole world. Slipknot, oh my God, you know? Like, you can just imagine him. He's probably listened to Royal Blood, Imagine Dragons, fucking all this <laughs> stuff that's rock on the radio. And then he's just like, oh my God, you know? So I think that is worth bearing in mind that for for some people, their first Slipknot album will be this new one even. You know, it's it's that weird, again, mental gymnastics you have to go through. Um, something I want to flag kind of up front is that, uh, you touched on it as well, the whole Stone Sour argument, I don't think it holds a lot of water because I think obviously when it, two bands share a singer in the way Slipknot and Stone Sour do, and particularly a singer like Corey Taylor, who's and so... And a guitarist. And a guitarist, yeah. And, a, a, you know, a singer who's so distinctive. You're going to have similarities, but in much the same way that, like, a perfect circle don't sound like Tool, but Maynard always sounds like Maynard. I am not sure about the, you know, oh, this sounds like Stone Sour, this sounds like Stone Sour. I think, to me, it's a little bit of a lazy critique because I think the intent with Stone Sour and Slipknot is so different. You know, Stone Sour are a wrestle metal band. They're a, you know, they're a radio rock band. That's all they'll ever be. And I think Corey is inhabiting kind of, to be honest, more of who he actually is in Stone Sour. He's kind of this big braggadocious attitude filled like rocker, you know. Whereas in Slipknot, it's more of a different thing. And I think that the intent and the Artistically and musically, I think the bands don't sound anything alike. And that's where, will, you know, that's where I find that the, the Stone Sour comparison really does fall down a little bit. Because I don't think Stone Sour ever go for eerie or ever go for creepy or moody in the way that Slipknot do. They do ballads. They both do like slower songs. They both do big melodic choruses. But it's in a much different way. So that is for me, it's a it's a bit of a sticking point for me. Um, and again, this is coming from someone who really, really loves Slipknot. Uh, you know, it's, I, I just find that it's a little bit of a kind of a straw man argument, a little bit. It's kind of, 
it's an easy way of saying, oh, Corey is singing melodically. I don't like it. It sounds like Stone Sour. You, do you know what I mean? Do you think that's fair or? No, I think you're talking shit because you like you love to defend Corey and Slipknot so much. I completely disagree. Well, I, I, I think that I think no. that I because I really, really liked Stone Sour at the beginning. Um, I think the self-titled Stone Sour record is great. It's okay, uh, yeah. I think that, and I think that who Stone Sour were on that self-titled is a completely different band to who they've been since come whatever may onwards. I also think that after because you with Slipknot you had the self-titled and Iowa, then Corey does the self-titled Stone Sour album, then Slipknot do Volume Three, the Subliminal Verses, and. It's no big secret that Volume 3 Subliminal Verses is a huge step down in terms of aggression and like full-on violence. Where That's the album where things really took a mellow turn. And that's that's why everyone loves Volume 3 Subliminal Verses. The singles are the biggest. And, the, like, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, my favourite uh, favorite songs on that album are Circle and Vermilion 2. I love that the whole new kind of softer side to Slipknot. But that a lot of that came, I think, from Corey's experiences with Stone Sour. And it's telling them that Stone Sour's next album was when they kind of went in their full wrestle rock, radio, kind of pop rock, essentially, yep. style that they've stuck to. But I have found ever since Stone Sour became the entity that it is, it became an almost equally big thing for Corey as Slipknot is. I find that, and I know there was melodic segments on Slipknot's early material on the self-title in Iowa, but after volume three subliminal verses and after how big Stone Sour get, there are moments in Slipknot songs, latter-day Slipknot songs, where there are choruses and there are cadences from Corey and there are melodic kind of segments that really don't sound like they fit the Slipknot ethos or audible sonic aesthetic that was established on the self-titled in Iowa or even Go, going all the way to Volume 3, the subliminal verses. There were signs on Volume 3 of the one or two, like the... The, the chorus on opium for the people's little little kind of just shoehorned it but I but I but I still loved it but by the time we got to all hope is gone a track like dead memories to me that's that sounded like just and this is complete conjecture like this is what music journalism is this is just mm. podcasting this is me talking my shit but I felt like when I hearing dead memories that Oh, that that full on sounds like a chorus like Corey wrote for a Stone Sour song, and now that he's in the studio with Slipknot and really just wants this chorus out there, and he's pushing it into this Slipknot song. And I think that like those, there are just, and I think as both as both acts get bigger and as Slipknot sound got more accessible, because I mean, let's face facts. I mean, all hope is gone is a much easier sell than Iowa. <laughs> That's, that's no, for that's sure. Yeah, that's for sure. I think actually you've 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 argued that pretty well. I think I I must say that I I I wouldn't be surprised at all if the chorus from Dead Memories was something Corey tried to work into Stone Sour and it didn't work. But I do still think that musically the bands are very very different. And I think and that's I would an, agree with you on that. I think that's an important kind of thing to to get across. Um, but yeah, right. Let's get into it. The End So Far by Slipknot. Slipknot's seventh studio album. And it starts with 
something I thought I would never hear. A simple 4-4 beat. <laughs> like, what? This song, Adderall, is the most out there song that Slipknot have ever recorded, I think. It's the most different from anything they've ever done. It sounds a bit like Korn in places. It sounds a bit like the Beatles. It sounds a bit like Radiohead. I love this. I think it's great. Never did I think an album would open with a 4-4 beat. The boom, tsh, boom, tsh. I was like, what is going on here? I think it's a really cool way to open the record. The piano sounds nice and lush. There's a lovely bass line throbbing its way through the track. And that the little pick delayed guitar lines are really great. And the chorus then is completely kind of unexpected or something. And the bass line under the chorus is something like Flea would write. It's really, really interesting track. And immediately I was kind of, oh, I was thrown a little bit. It's not at all what I expected. I'm I'm the exact same. And, and that's the, and just following up on what we were saying there a second ago, I, I, I don't think this sounds like Stone Sour. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't. Let me get, get that out of the way. I could still tell this was Slipknot, but this uh, straight off the bat, I went, I went into the end so far with very little in the way of uh, expectation. I didn't really listen to any of the singles. I I was very kind of shocked when I saw the singles pop up because I thought, "Fuck, we are not your kind." Was only twenty nineteen, so that's very relatively short time ago for Slipknot. So I. I just kind of was really, it wasn't until you suggested this that I thought, oh, fuck, I'll actually listen to this new Slipknot record. And Adderall sounds like the opening to like a rock opera. It's, it's, <laughs> with, with, its, with its minimal pianos and you, you have the spotlight on Corey and he's he's singing this almost crooning introductory mm-hmm. vocal. And it's real menacing and it's a real opening setting the scene kind of track it, it very much starts like the first piece in a movement like like i said it's like the start of a rock opera and it's theatrical and it and i was really you know after like i said about we are not your kind being a step in the right direction but it leaving me cold this was the first time no joke this was the first time i felt really interested okay. listening to not in years i i was all I could think of was where is this song going and where's this album going? Yeah. I very much and I like after all hope is gone, then the gray chapter, and then we are not your kind, kind of re- making me take notice again, but not really investing. I really got intrigued after hearing Adderall. I think it's a really unique song for Slipknot. And for Slipknot to surprise me in 2022, that's a statement in itself, really. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um uh, the Dying Song then was one of the singles. I think it was, I, I think it was the most, no, it was the second last single. Um, and I, I actually quite liked it as a single when it was released. Um, but it, I wasn't like, oh, fuck, yeah, Slipknot. Like, it wasn't like the reaction I had to, like, you know, Psychosocial or something. But I was like, oh, this is really cool. But I actually really liked this in the context of the record. I think coming out of Adderall, it sounds really cool. Um... I'm not, I, I don't know what Corey is on about, really. Um, I'm not sure about his lyrics pretty much throughout this throughout this album. But I do think he still is able to pick interesting melodies. And the chorus sounds big. Um, I think the instrumental passage in the, the post-chorus is fucking awesome. And Corey sounds absolutely feral in the next verse. And it's got a very predictable but satisfying finish. 
I am I'm very on board at this point. I think the dying song keeps the momentum going really, really well. I'm I'm very, very on board with it. The thing with the dying song is that I knew because I hadn't listened to it, but I knew it was one of the singles that had come out. Mm-hmm. And after listening to Adderall, I knew, you know, I knew the next song was going to be the more traditional sounding Slipknot song to absolutely to kick things in the fourth, fifth, eighth gear, whatever the fuck. <laughs> and I must admit, you and you will probably see this banded about, dear listener, in regards to this album. But it is true that to me, the heavy, heavy, heavy segments on this album are some of the fucking heaviest that I've heard from Slipknot since Iowa. The the Jay Weinberg's blast beats, the riffs are fucking ridiculous. And Corey, Corey sounds fucking more feral and pissed off than I thought he could ever sound again. I mean, everyone kind of said after volume three, he'd kind of gone in this more menacing, nuanced direction mm. because he didn't have that bark anymore. That bark is back, man. Absolutely. Like he, he sounds foaming at the mouth unhinged on this record. And I really think time, uh, The Dying Song is a real nice like return to that old abrasive kind of sound. And it's still got like that melodic hook and shit, but mm-hmm. I just think, yeah, I... I, I had been, I yeah. It it this is this is. I really like this record. Just to get it out of the way, I I really think it's good. The I whole really, album, for the mo- most of it. There's one or two missteps that we'll talk about, but for the most part, I really, really, I really like this new Stepnot album. I'm really surprised, but like, it, man, I, I think I think it's fucking really brilliant. <laughs> this is just so weird. Like, how how is this happening? Like, how are Slipknot releasing an album in 2022 that I absolutely fucking love? I agree. Yeah. I agree. There are there are bumps in the road. There are parts that, uh, to me, don't work. But they're trying new things. I they're mean, trying new things, which is mad. Like, this, this is the most surprised I have felt from a Slipknot album in years. And I mean, I'm 30. I mean, and this, is, this is legitimately the biggest modern heavy metal band. And they're sounding as heavy as they have ever sounded. That no, that I'm not going to go that far. They don't sound as heavy as Iowa, but it's no. approaching. It's yeah. approaching that level. But I mean, there are like legitimate like fucking death metal albums that don't sound as heavy as Iowa because it's got that brutal sound and an unbelievable production job. But I mean, this is a heavy, interesting record. The fucking I'm, when I what's got going to. On? <laughs> When we get when you get to the next track, the Chapel Town Rag, rag. Mm. and uh, I guess like the pre-chorus is that fucking blast beating from Weinberg and those huge chugging riffs. And every time that came in, I got that claustrophobic feel Iowa gave me, and I hadn't felt that from Slipknot in fuck since Iowa. Yeah. Not even on Volume Three. I legit like every time I heard that fucking and Corey letting out that huge rasp. And oh man, this is the heavy moments on this made me feel like I was listening to Slipknot again. Yep. I, and I said, I, yeah, you know what I, I mean? agree. Absolutely. Um, just on the Chapeltown rag as well. I, I don't have a lot to, to say on it per se, um, but because I wasn't too gone on it as a standalone single. Between the release of it as a single and it on the record, they've gone through some little changes 
there's some they've made some edits to it and I think it actually sits really really well now in the album um, I think it's very good and there's a lot happening throughout it as well um, I I invested a lot of money in a a pair of really good earbuds um, and I use them for like like really kind of detailed analytical listening and there is shit going on all over the place on the Chapeltown rag there's all these little kind of atmospheric touches and flares and flicks and it's it's really really it's a it's to use a, a really wanky phrase it's an absolute treat for the ears it's fucking brilliant um and i love there's a tom groove that jay does for the chorus that's a really great choice you get it's um rather than like attacking a snare and a hi-hat he he uses the toms instead and it adds really like you know, adds real oomph and that big breakdowny outro as well. Like, yes, please. This sounds fucking monstrous. It's fucking great. But then, like, you get to Yen, and like when Yen started, because again, Yen is incredibly chill at the at the beginning, and that's when I kind of realized Adderall wouldn't be a one off. Mm-hmm. That this. Wasn't go- this was going to be an album of extremes that it was going to go up and it was going to go down in terms of the energy and and malevolence and on Yen, I love how Yen starts really kind of ethereal and really delicate and then when it gets to those like those thundering chugging kind of pre-course riffs, just I the the, the fucking. Like I read an interview recently with Jim Root that he was really not sure about how people would would approach this album because of how sonically kind of scatterbrained it is. Mm. I love that about this. Absolutely, I am. That's like I think it's I think it's that variety really adds to it. Um, just on Yen, I think Yen is my favorite song on the album. I think it is fucking on. Believable. The note that Corey hits on the the die for you is fucking unreal. It's got this weird like discordant feel that really hits the kind of eeriness of the mood and the creepy textures that they create. The riff on that chorus, doom, doom. It's like that delayed. Oh my god! And the bass sounds massive on it as well. Then we get Sid scratching his mental little heart out in the middle of it, and then that riff comes in again like big big riff like i I'm love glad, this song i'm glad you mentioned sid because i really didn't like there are a couple of full-on turntable scratching segments on this album which slipknot haven't had since the self-titled and it and i just didn't think i'd be hearing a really diverse proggy tinted like big mainstream metal album this year with so many turntable scratches that sound right at home and that and that's another thing to say like this was produced by Joe Baresi yeah who like has produced the last couple of Tool records and shit and he's worked mm. with Queen's Stone Age and Melvins and all that and the production on here is fucking ridiculous man uh it it really is it sounds amazing um and i think that there there's a difference in production between this and We Are Not Your Kind because Greg Fiddleman was was in the chair for We Are Not Your Kind. And I think he actually did a super job. But there's something a little bit more... I don't want to say evil because that's... Uh, there's something a little bit more sinister to this record, I think, than We Are Not Your Kind. 
Um, we are not your kind. It's some really cool moments in 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 terms of the evil and the sinister. Like Spiders is a very strange song, but um, there's some there's an atmosphere in this record that I think that when Slipknot get in their groove and they get into that Slipknot territory where they know this is what we're fucking good at. It just sounds amazing. And I think that goes for Hive Mind as well. I really like the the looping intro on this because you think the song is going to start and then it doesn't. And you get this weird kind of overlaid delay effect and it's it's actually quite strange. Then the riff comes in and I, like, I didn't think that you'd get blast beats under that particular riff. But that's what we got. I thought it was going to be, you know, the more classic Slipknot groove. But we get some blast beats. Um, I think Hive Mind is a pretty straight up rager. I wish they hadn't gone for the clean vocal as much on it because I would have enjoyed just a straight up violent song. Um, that is my. There's one or there's one or two moments on the album where I feel that there's melodic kind of vocal hooks put in just for the sake of keeping them on the current Slipknot brand where it I can't help but think with how fucking ferocious the song is up to that point that they should have just rather than going 88% just go 100% yeah. go for the throat for the whole fucking song like I, I, I think so but there's something this this chorus actually comes in at a, a kind of a it's almost on an off offbeat or something so it's actually it comes in really abruptly which is pretty cool Um, I think that this might be Corey's best performance on here. He sounds absolutely out of his mind on the pre-chorus. And the little background harmony vocals on the chorus are really tasty. Uh, the build-up with the strings as well uh, towards the end is very black metal, which is unreal. And um, the final breakdown of the outro is is excellent. The Protect the Hive, um, really cool. Um, and I love how they hand over to either Sid or Craig, I'm not sure, at the very end, and they just, like, throttle the life out of the song and, like, pull it apart, and then it's gone, you know, uh, before we get into the next track. I think Hive Mind is really cool, but like I said, or like you said, you know, go 100%, fuck it, just give it to us. Give us this, you know, just a rager from start to finish. Yeah, and I, but I do like as well how you said, like, Hive Mind is another one of those examples of Corey just sounding fucking unhinged, unhinged. Like you're talking about like you don't really know what the fuck he's on about with the lyrics i mean i i take a lot to be like there's definitely kind of um allusions to i think slipknot's place in modern metal now and kind of and criticism that's been thrown at them and and, and kind of kind of like basically doing what they've done for so long and making the name they have and trying to stay relevant i think i think there's a lot of that in in the in the lyrics and in Corey's kind of aggressive performance but i also think there's a big because Corey has always been quite cryptic but i definitely think there is a with slipknot anyway but there's definitely a sense of not an old man yellow clouds kind of internet bad thing but, but there is a close but, yeah close yeah. There is a bit of a critique aimed at constant social media and overanalyzing yeah. and and everyone thinking they're a music critic, uh, i.e. us on the podcast. <laughs> but, but, but I but like I do have to admit, like that in I think it's the Chapel Town rag that bit at the end where he's like, you know, uh, if everything is, is God, God online, online yeah. and nothing is, yeah, and he just that's badass. As it fuck, is. It it's is. fucking great. And, and just like in Hive Mind, that protect the hive. Yeah. I again, it made me kind of 
It was, I, I couldn't remember the last time Corey Taylor intimidated me and it made yeah. me so excited. I was like, yeah, Corey, because like when you want to be a scary cunt, you can be still like. And like, there's an irony in it like that, you know, he's on about people commenting and everything like, but I mean, there's a fucking meme of the fact, well, what does Corey Taylor think about it? Like, you know, I mean, he's yeah. one of the most omnipresent people in, in, in heavy metal, like, you know, and, it, but I, I, I know what you're saying about the old man yells at cloud a little bit. There is definitely but I mean but he makes it sound badass still. he does I'm, still it, on, I'm totally on board with it like. it does sound great um, and then uh, on Medicine for the Dead I love that like the Halloween kind of sounding you warranty fam oh shit I did my apologies um, oh yeah warranty um, this is a weird one uh, because I love how it sounds it's a real like fucking bruiser uh, I love the um, the gang vocals you know the yes I wanted to make yeah. this point there's oh on there's, Hive Mind as well the gang vocal the set it off set it off sick there's gang vocals on this record that like you said are sick there's uh, in brackets SIC uh, uh, <laughs> but there's like a fucking maybe it's because I've been listening to shit tons of like OG hardcore recently but mm. Like Slipknot have had their gang vocals here and there before, but I have never heard their gang vocals sound that like OG, like fucking anthemic, all very hardcore punk style. There's just, there's a ferocious, just fucking, all the gang vocals on this album make me go like, yeah. Yeah, they are very, oh. yes, come on, you know. Um, the Unwarranty, the, I think there's real, real Iowa vibes. Um, but you know what? You always buy brand new. I don't know what the fuck he's on about. It just doesn't sound great to me. It's a weird line, you know, or something. I don't know what it is. Um, it just. I, I like that because I. I, think I love how it sounds, but I just don't know what he's on about, and it's a little bit naff to me. But that I I looked up the lyrics and everything, and I couldn't make head or tail of it to be honest. Um, no, I did it very late last night as well, so maybe I just wasn't able. Um, there's a really cool low vocal under the verse vocal as well that adds a really sinister kind of edge to the uh, track as well. Um, there's a lead line in the middle of it. Uh, I'm guessing it's from Jim, but it's very little craft in it. I thought it was a bit throwaway, but overall, uh, like the chorus is fucking massive. Even if I don't know what he's on about, and um, and I think they absolutely smash the ending of it as well. That false finish back into the chorus, fucking massive. I think there's like, I mean, there could be allusions to like fucking, because there's there's a lot of this war imagery when he's talking about like shooting in the Panzer, which is like in a Panzer like a fucking tank and stuff. Yeah. So I'm not sure if he's talking about like the whole, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the military like trade and weaponry and shit like that, and you always buy brand new and people bombing each other and stuff. I don't like don't really kind of know either. I didn't. Maybe look, yeah. We, I mean, there's probably more like in detail explanations out there, but I mean, that's for the people who want to Google genius. But I just find that, uh, yeah, I, but I, I really like that you always buy brand new. I think it's, fucking- oh, it's, it's massive as a hook. It's fucking massive. I'm literally just saying about the lyric. I'm like, what do you want? My voice. Now don't think twice. You always buy brand new. It's a little bit, I don't know. It's just a little bit odd. I don't think Corey Taylor on Iowa. No, I know it's not Corey Taylor on Iowa. You know, but Corey Taylor on Iowa isn't going to say my advice. You don't think twice. You know. But no, he's too busy just calling everyone and everything a motherfucker. But in terms of how it sounds, it's fucking monstrous. Absolutely brilliant. 
Brilliant. Really, really now, cool. Before you get in on anything about Medicine for the Dead, I will yes, say, and this is just me maybe completely, this is total conjecture on my part, but the coincidence of Joe Baresi producing this album. And it's sounding and, like Tool? Yes. <laughs> really fucking does. It and, really I, and that does. is not a bad thing. No, but it, it really, it's literally, um, I have it here in the, you know, uh, I said that there's like some Halloween shit happening on the intro. It's very cool. And then it's time to like kill, crush, crush destroy, right? No, there's a little bit of a build up. And I think the intro is outstanding. And when it does give way to the riff, it's very Tool-esque. That snare at the end of the riff is very Tool. Um, and then the bass kind of pops in the middle of it on the pre-chorus. I mean, they could be, it's not as good as Justin Chancellor or Tool, but it is very Tool influenced. And the Joe Bressy link is <laughs> is coincidental at best. <laughs> but it is, it's very, but even as it starts, uh, when it when it kind of really just kind of slowly starts trudging, I remember thinking, wow, I was like, this is, this is the most prog metal Slipknot sounding song I've ever fucking heard. Absolutely. It's yeah. produced by Joe Bressy at the same time, like, yeah, no, definitely, I I agree. Um, you had to have popped a massive horn though when it came to the breakdown, right? The breakdown on Medicine for the Dead is fucking massive, and when Slipknot, and when Slipknot do it, like, you know, they're as good as anyone else at doing that fucking big, weighty, huge breakdown to just get you out of a song. Really, really fucking cool. Um, anything else on Medicine for the Dead, or we move on? No, I really, I like, I th- I think Medicine for the Dead is a really good, like, um, after, like, the kind of ferociousness of Warranty and Hive Mind, I think Medicine for the Dead is, an, is a, like I said earlier, this is an album of kind of extremes and moods, and I really like how, like Yen, Medicine for the Dead kind of brings everything down a little bit to, it slows things to a bit of a crawl. But brings they, the pace I, down, for sure, yeah. yeah. But I also love how, Again, I keep talking about how this album surprises me. I'm I love what I love about this album is there are so many the heavy, heavy <clears throat> OG, if you will, sounding slipknot moments are the most excited I've been about old school sounding slipknot moments since I first got into slipknot. And then the real like nuanced slow build of the opener Adderall, and then Yen. With, the, with how that builds to those real thundering, chugging riffs. And here again on Medicine for the Day, that real proggy kind of tool intro. The, I'm loving the, the aspects of this record that don't sound that don't sound like quintessential Slipknot that are really intriguing me, yet don't also feel like Slipknot are losing their identity or are cosplaying it. It's, I feel like I'm still listening to Slipknot pushing themselves and taking influence from other kind of circles and, and imbuing them into their sound. It, this is the most I've, I'm really loving this record because I really, I'm just really impressed by how much Slipknot are trying here. It's like they've lost three of their original members over time. They have three replacements now. There's only six of those core guys still there. And if there's a you can really tell there's a unified effort. Even if Jim and Clown were a little apprehensive as to how people would approach this, and because the album was written in COVID and stuff like that, I really feel that people I think they're being a bit I think they're doing damage control. There doesn't need to be as much because I think they're apologizing for a record not sounding that slipknot. Mm-hmm. But I think people 
I think the parts that sound like Slipknot sound like Slipknot at their most re- revitalized, and the moments that don't sound like Slipknot sound like Slipknot really caring and trying and pushing themselves to try something new. So, and I think the experiments nine times out of ten work. And on Medicine for the Dead, I think that's a great example of them really pushing for something without losing their identity in the process. I really love. I'm really digging this album, and I think Medicine for the Dead is a high point at them pushing themselves without losing focus either. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, how are you feeling about acidic? Sorry, before I move on to acidic, oh, sorry. I just yeah. want to say. No, I just looked up uh, because it was playing on the back of my head, Warranty. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is what we've almost said throughout this podcast, Corey, and like even things I've alluded to here about like old man yelling at clouds and shit like that. Corey's kind of addressed on Warranty. He says, Warranty is a tongue in cheek look at what people expect from Slipknot. It's basically me turning very specific retail terms into uh, metaphors about what people think when it comes to Slipknot. And the fact that after all of these years, our warranty still hasn't run out, but they've had to replace us with a new one. It's just my inner metal dad coming out. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. Or even he's, yeah, he's, he's very, it's a very, he's very aware. He's like, it's, it's almost like a, there's not another Slipknot. So he was like, but you always buy brand new. So we're trying to give you something new while staying as Slipknot. And he's addressing his own old dad, we yells the clouds thing. So (laughs) I like that. That's very meta. That seems like a very meta commentary on Slipknot's place in metal on their seventh record released in 2022. Fair fucking play uh, to him. Yeah. And then as for Acidic, I really, really like Acidic. Okay. Um, I, I think... I think acidic and heirloom are are the they're they're the weak point on the record for it's me. It's funny because I think heirloom is the weak point on the record for me, but I it actually is. like acidic before. Oh, I, I, I I like it, but it is the weak point. I think that you know, in to quote my good friend Mr. Lars Ulrich, it's a little bit stock heirloom, you know. And I think on a fifty-five minute album, it's a little bit of a candidate for removal for me. I just think it's a little bit forgettable because a lot of what's come before, including acidic, actually leaves quite an impression. I think acidic is a little bit like sludgy or like... Acidic, I, it's funny, I am glad you said sludgy because acidic to me is very... Acidic to me sounds like Slipknot's take on grunge, which kind of results in a sludgy sounding alt metal song. Absolutely. Actually, but do you know what? That's fuck, that is a really good shout. Really good, yeah. I, I can hear that, definitely. Yeah, that's what I hear. I hear this almost Alice in Chains kind of vibe to it. With and I know Corey's big into that old grunge shit. He I loves think they're Alice in Chains are his favorite band. Yeah, exactly. So mm. that this to me sounds like the most kind of grunge I've ever heard Slipknot sound. It it's very it is quite a nuanced, simple track. It's simple verse, chorus, verse, chorus mm-hmm. structure. It's all cleanly sung, but the riffs have this like menacing kind of nuanced heft to them, like grunge. But like, like you said, I'm glad you said sludge because it is. It's it's like Slipknot trying to write a grunge song. So what's it sound like? It sounds like a sludge, a slow sludge song. It does. But like, but then, but so then, heirloom kind of comes. It's acidics already. So after you've had the prog kind of opus of medicine for the dead, then the slow kind of grunge sludge of acidic 
you don't need another kind of 4-4 rocky kind of slow song like Heirloom because it just slips between the cracks then. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And I think perhaps if their their place in the in the in the tracklist was reversed we could be saying yeah. you know the reverse but yeah no i agree um hell then or h377 i hate when bands do that even my beloved oh is it meant to be hell i, I, I think didn't so, pick yeah. it up there was Oh god! Yeah, my beloved tool, like with their seven empest and all that stuff. Like you know, I hate. Oh yeah, it's cringe as fuck. I hate yeah. it. But um, seven empest. Yeah, yeah, seven empest. You know, then, Grammy award winning seven em- seven yeah, empest. Yeah, just call it tempest, boys, please. Um, but this this is almost Slipknot go punk rock, like we were mentioning before. You know, it's got you know it's got yeah. a really punk rock paste. It that's pretty cool. I don't think by any means is it the standout track but I really dig it I, I think it's no, really even cool Corey's, yeah even Corey's cadence on this track he the the kind of the bite with how quick he finishes words is very un-Corey mm. Mm. sings with it like a, a much more kind of chattering fast paced kind of snarl to him even and I know that like People are like, but Corey always used to rap screams of no, no, but this is like in his more modern kind of shouting, like vicious delivery, even by that standard, this is a lot more kind of quick paced and ferocious. I really dig this. I think it's awesome. It's it's really cool. Yeah, really cool. Um, The Sad then, I mean. The Sad I, is my least favorite track on this record. I can absolutely understand that. I think I didn't vibe with it at all. All on first listen, I thought it was first listen. Really not first listen. I was just like, this is, but it's it's grown on me. Um, I think that Corey uh, actually, (laughs) Corey does his best on the track. I think, but again, I think it's a little bit for forgettable. He brings a really like technically, his singing on the chorus is excellent. He brings a real lift to the overall feel I think but I do think the song is a little bit weak um it I had um initially I wrote that acidic was the weak point in the album for me but I do think the sad is is the worst track on here um despite it not being terrible but it's not great oh, I think I, is yeah. that fair yeah I didn't first time listening to it really didn't like it like, yeah I was really the same like but the more and more I hear it I yeah I think it's just it's just it's a bit forgettable and it's it, it is it, it's a bit of a slow ballad in an album that already has a good share of slow ballads to offset the really ferocious tracks and i mean and speaking of slow ballads i mean i almost feel i want to go back a minute and talk about heirloom because what i find annoying about heirloom is that i actually had this in my notes i forgot to mention like the lyrics in heirloom are really harrowing if you actually read the lyrics to Heirloom, the lyrics in Heirloom are from the point of view of a domestic abuse survivor. So, like, that obviously I can tell that's why Corey went for, like, this really slow, soft kind of menacing delivery. But the fact that because Heirloom comes right after Acidic and Medicine for the Dead, there's almost too much of, um, like, the, the sequencing is off there because it just... It, too many of the tracks blur together without another Chapel Town rag or a hive mind to pick it back up. And there should there should have maybe just placed them a slight bit different because by the time you've had Medicine for the Dead and Acidic, as potent and fucking harrowing as the message in Heirloom is, sonically, 
it just, like I said, it slips through the cracks where it's placed. And then hell or H377 really tries to restore that frenetic energy. But then we get hit with the side again straight away. And it's like, it's almost, it's, 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 uh, it's almost bottom heavy with, 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 with the balladry. And, and I, and I'm not, and I, again, I love the, the really how this is an album of extremes and how it can be sonically in so many places at once. But I find that the the heavy moments do get few and far between on the back end of the album, which yeah. might turn it might disengage some people who aren't really fully on board at that point. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, I love it, but I I really do part of me feels that by the time I got to decide, I was kind of like okay, I, I, I need to get hit over the head again. <laughs> and, yeah. there, and there are like, a, there, there are moments I like, like, I really do like the the big mad soloing at the end of the side that goes on. It, and it goes on, it's just about two moments where you think, oh, the solo's over and it keeps going. So I, and I really like that, that there are moments where Jim and Mick are just kind of left off the hook to really shred their fucking hearts out. But I felt like there could have been, I felt like hell shouldn't have been the last real OG go for the throat aggressive slipknot moment on the record. I think it happens too early and with and with how ferocious the earlier really heavy songs sound, I feel like there should have been one more toward the back end of the album. I don't think it should rest on hell to be the last moment of true mayhem that the album has like. Or they could have left the sad off the track list. Or they could have left sad off the track list and, and I th- placed it in there then you know i think it might have it might have helped a little bit and like i mean the album is 55 minutes it's not like it's not long tracks and it's nearly an hour like but it's long you know it is long for a modern metal record you know and especially when it's only 12 tracks is what i'm saying like yeah yeah 12 tracks an hour like that's that's fair going for today absolutely absolutely um i do think the album finishes really strong though i think finale is is very cool I really like Finale as well. Yeah, Finale is great. I think the Jim Root is doing some mega work on the verses. Uh, The little scratches that Sid brings in on the chorus are delish. Uh, The song builds and builds, kind of almost without you noticing. And like suddenly there's like choruses of women and there's swirling effects. There's riffs everywhere. The chorus is really cool. I think it caps the album off brilliantly. And it really feels like a song they all worked on together. If that makes sense, I know realistically they probably didn't have all nine members like, oh, we should do this and this, but it does sound very unified and everyone kind of gets their moment. And I think it's a brilliant way to finish the album. And I do think the album would have benefited if Finale, you know, came straight after Hell. Just get rid of the sad or what, you know. Um, but obviously, okay, look, if look they- we weren't there. It's completely their choice. But that is my impression. If they had taken, like we said, if they took the sad off, and after acidic, you went after medicine for the dead and acidic, which are both quite you have the progginess of medicine for the dead, and then the real kind of grooving slow grunge of acidic. If you went back for full on hell, then then heirloom, then finale, yeah, and you took the sad off, it yeah. would it would tighten it up and it would bring it to about fifty minutes instead of fifty five. I think, it would, but you know, but this is us being all this is us just overanalyzing. There's someone who could end up like really liking the sad, but for Absolutely. me, it just it just 
as as a melodic song, it doesn't have the most memorable vocal performance or hook from Corey, and it and it does and it doesn't really pop like the other cuts do. But it's still got a really impressive solo. And but it, but that is just that's my overt critique that decided to be the one I would trim from it. But Same. I think finale Same. is like you said. I think finale is a real. And I didn't mind finale being the kind of nuanced kind of closing piece that it is because it it's a nice. It mirrors Adderall in like the way I said, like a rock opera and also Adderall and Finale both have these kind of choral vocals to them, like these this choir of women kind of singing this kind of eerie vibes. So I really do think that I think Finale is a good mirror to Adderall as like a top entailing of these these kind of balladry, these ballads that kind of bring us into this you know, this scatterbrained kind of world of the end so far, where is this Slipknot's last record? Like, maybe, but that's nearly always the case. And <laughs> is the world going to end? Maybe, maybe, but isn't that always the case? And it it's the end so far. Yeah. And it has this kind of scattering fucking... So, like, the melodic seg- segments to me are really... It's like that whole thing of, like, you know, let's, let, let's dance while the world burns, you know? it's Let's take our time and let's just think about it at our own pace and and let's just kind of reflect and then the next thing it's like Jay Weinberg blasting the life out of things and Corey screaming his life out and it's like no we'd have no time to reflect because the world's fucked so it's it's an album of completely scatterbrained extremes and emotions and I really 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 like this Slipknot album I really do I it's it's fucking head and shoulders above all hope is gone. Five the great chapter, and it it builds on the promise I heard on "We Are Not Your Kind" immensely, and I am really taken aback with with even its flaws and missteps and the parts of it that I was kind of a bit like this could have been trimmed and this goes on a bit. The parts of it I love, I fucking adore. Mm. The Adderall just being a beautiful like setting up of everything. I think the dying songs, lovely return to form. Chapel Town Rag is so ferociously heavy. Yen, love how it slowly builds into that trudging, groovy riff. I think it's unreal. Hive Mind and Warranty are just fucking, again, that's the closest I've heard Slipknot sound to Iowa mm-hmm. since Iowa. Medicine for the Dead is them letting out their inner fucking tool. It's even got almost like just shades of ELO, spacey, tangerine, dream, prog going on and really subtly behind all the alt metal kind of vibes. I love the grunginess of acidic. Uh, Hell's got, like you said, it's got that punky thing to it. I, I, I really... I really, really like this Slipknot record, bro. I, yeah. I really didn't think I said at 30 years old in 2022, I would be like this impressed with a Slipknot album. I mean... I'm less surprised that I enjoy it because, like I said at the very top, as the disclaimer, they just scratch a particular itch for me. And on this record, they're fucking scratching that in exactly the way I want. I think that it's so commendable for a band of Slipknot's stature to take this many risks. I think yeah. that is that is to their absolute undying credit. Uh, I think some of the online discourse about this record has been absolutely fucking pathetic it has been pathetic just because there are melodic vocals are you not listening to how heavy the rest of it is and also Slipknot always had fucking melodic vocals just get over it like Corey Taylor for all of his flaws is a great singer so like he's gonna want to sing and also like they need to find a way where they can age gracefully as Slipknot because Slipknot is not a band you can play in forever it's impossible so they need to find some kind of transitional elements that could get them to where they want to go 
overall, I think that Sid provides some highlights on this record. The scratching where he's highlighted are fucking excellent. Uh, I think Jay Weinberg is really flourishing at this stage in his Slipknot um, career. Can I just say, this is the first Slipknot album that I've heard that I've literally said to myself, and this is no, this is a compliment, but not a discredit, but I really, this is the first time I listened to a Slipknot record that Jay Weinberg's playing drums on, where he sounds like a more than suitable replacement for Joy. Absolutely. He had the biggest shoes to fill. Yeah. Like the and biggest. The drum part on this album, there's fills and there's tom rolls that remind me of like Joey's claustrophobic playing on Iowa, where there's not like a microsecond that there's not a fucking unnecessary extra drum echo. <laughs> And Jay has that on this record where the, where the, the the riffs can be like so like not minimal but have this these spar this sparseness to them to have this chunk and this heft but to allow Jay to weave in around them and the drum fills on this album the drumming is so impressive on this record and it's it really the first is. time I think I've listened to a Joey Jay Weinberg Slipknot album that I've been impressed by the drumming like uh, like every single time I throw on Iowa. I'm surprised by the drums. Absolutely, because oh. it's one of the great drum performances of all time. Yeah. So when I hear Jay, but hearing this new album, it's like hearing Joey again. When I hear Jay play, I'm like, I'm that wowed by the drumming. The, the drumming on this album is like one of the standout performances across the board. Like, Absolutely. I could, couldn't agree more. I think that um, the acoustic shimmers, or atmospheric shimmers, I should say, and acoustic Easter eggs that Craig Jones lays throughout the record are great. I think that when Mick and Jim riff together, it's mm. crushing and it sounds massive. I do think some of the leads are a little bit throwaway at points, but when they get together and they lock in, excellent. I think V-Man's bass work is excellent throughout. I think like Jay, he's finally, you know, confident in his place within the band to express himself fully. Um, Corey is Corey's such a double-edged sword because he's a great singer. But some of his lyrics, you can hear the kind of smugness or the I'm yeah. so satisfied, I'm very clever. You know, you can hear that a little bit. Some of them aren't amazing, but he's such a talented man and he's such a character. And he is he has become Corey Taylor TM. Like, you know, he's a character. He's a cartoon character. And you know what? Slipknot are probably all the better for it. I don't think Slipknot would be anywhere near the size they are without Corey. Uh, he's just, he is a double-edged sword. He is what he is. But... If you accept them, you're going to get on board with Slipknot. I think that this is a great, interesting, heavy, melodic record. It is no obvious kind of all-time banger in the no, way. No, it doesn't. And that I, I'm psychosocial, that. You, you know, it doesn't. But there's no before I forget. There's no psychosocial. Exactly. There's no. There's not even a, like a devil in eye on it. No, but no. It's um, but that's almost to the album's credit. This is more of an of an of a without sounding too pompous or pretentious, but this isn't like and this isn't volume three or all hope is gone where there's a couple of huge big fucking singles and a couple of cooler deep cuts. This is an album of a of this is a piece. Yeah. Like cut into, tw- into segments. This is a very much like even like you said, Chapel Town Rag and Time to Sing the Dying Song as singles, they're they're a bit ho hum. But together, all one to back to back mm. as a as a collective piece, as an experience, that that's where the end so far really stands out as a, as a whole collective, you know, not as individual Absolutely. tracks. 
Absolutely. Um, and I think that for a band of their size on their seventh record at their legendary status to do something like this, so full of risks, so full of cool moments, so full of interesting turns and tricks. And uh, I just think it's so commendable. This, despite despite the critiques I've given of certain songs and I'm not enjoying the sad, we'll say, or whatever. I think that throughout the 55 minutes, there's no point where I'm like, is this ever going to fucking end? There's no oh. point where I'm not really enjoying myself. For the first seven tracks, I have I have the biggest like shit eating grin on my face. You know, I really, really enjoy this record. I think that the more I listen to it, the more I'm convinced that this is going to be in my top twenty at the end of the year. Um, I just I fucking love it, and that's less of a surprise for me because of as a self self-proclaimed slipknot sucker i am i am but i'm so delighted that you seem to have had just as good a time as me on this you seem to be really digging this as well i couldn't agree more about what you said about the first like seven tracks i've like from from adderall up to medicine for the dead i have the biggest shit eating grin on my face (laughs) and then and then and then it gets a bit like questionable toward the back end but but there's still great moments on it and like i said to be to be in my thirties for it to be twenty twenty two, and to have a seventh full length Slipknot album that on one hand has songs and moments that to me are the heaviest and most ferocious I have heard from Slipknot since Iowa, and to be that like threatened and like intimidated and like whoa by the wowed by the intensity of fucking roadrunner signed it's their last roadrunner album yeah the roadrunner signed mainstream metal behemoth slipknot who like oh and me thinking oh i listen to all my black metal now and my hardcore and my niche underground shit to be that like wowed and pummeled into submission by slipknot again i like but then on the other hand to have moments that remind me of fucking rock operas and remind <laughs> me of Tool and that are like really, or Alice in Chains and have grungy, slow, prog, dirgy moments and then like really mathematical grooves and fucking really like really eccentric performances from Taylor, really like spotlight crooning vocals, but but still not. Like I used my Stone Sour comparison, there's not really many Stone Sour-y moments. No. The, these tracks still sound very much like Slipknot, pushing themselves into new, strange directions. So for an album of those two extremes, to be the most Slipknot sounding I've heard from them since Iowa, and also to be the most experimental I have heard from them and successful in those experiments, this is genuinely the most I have enjoyed a Slipknot album since Volume three, the subliminal verses, and I really did not expect that going into this record at all. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, for the record with a resounding thumbs up for Slipknot, the end so far. Thank you so, so much for listening. Uh, this has been such a pleasure to talk about one of my all-time favourite bands and not be embarrassed or not be, like, making excuses for them, you know, and just be like, this is great, you know, it's been so brilliant. So catch us at For The Record Pod, Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Sean Tierney. Music is the best. I'm Buggy. Bye.